see you all this morning. And uh, if we haven't had a chance to meet and greet, I just want to personally thank you all for being here. It's been uh, it's good just to fellowship together, isn't it? And uh, man, Ron, that was great praise leading too. We enjoyed that. That was a good celebration, as Jeff said. So the Bible conference is concluded, uh, but the word goes forth. Amen. So if you have your Bibles, we turn to the book of Exodus. We're continuing. We're bouncing out of out of Exodus chapter 12, finally, after this morning, but we still have a little bit of business left to do. And uh, and if you are here and you don't have a Bible, that's no problem. we got a Bible for you in the seat rack and in front of you. You can grab that. Be turned to page 101 as uh, we are going to consider the practice of the Passover this morning. And uh, as we depart from this, uh, this chapter in chapter 12, it's kind of been, we've been sojourning there for a little while. Uh, but it's one last look at the Passover, and when you think of being passed over, it usually is a bad thing. You know, you like you got passed over for promotion, you got passed over for a position. Uh, you know, that that gal passed you over, that guy passed you over. You know, and you're the leftovers. But in this case, of course, the Passover is a great thing uh, because it, you know the Lord uh, spared uh, the children of Israel, the death angel, uh, and the wrath of God that was upon the, the Egyptians passed over. Uh, the children of Israel because of the blood of the Passover lamb. So today we're going to see how the practice of the Passover is memorable, generational, instructional. Uh, and, you know, this week I was in the, the book of uh, Second Chronicles in my daily reading. I'm just finishing up Chronicles, and I, I keep retreading over the same chapters. There's so much there, and I'm, I'm just super uh, engrossed in it. But one of the things I was looking at this past week was the celebration of the Passover by Hezekiah. You know, the Passover... Uh, celebration in the time of Hezekiah was a, a time where God was able to reboot and reset the nation of Israel. He got the priests in order. First, they cleaned out the temple. They got the priesthood in order. Uh, they started getting the sacrifices in order. And it was a time to, to for people who had even messed up, you know. And so we, we spent some time on this chapter. And I don't know where everybody's coming from today, but I just I just want this to be a message that is practical in your life. Uh, because no matter where you've been, God has a plan for you. And it, and it does come through the Lord Jesus Christ and the things that are pictured in the Passover. And that's why it's so prominent. That's why I've taken time to really camp out on it. Because once we get out of chapter 12, I intend to kind of put it in fifth gear and keep moving. But, uh, but I just wanted to take some time and, and uh, hang on the rim, so to speak, and, and look at these things in Exodus chapter 12. And as we're getting ready to run out of that thing, let's look at our text down here in Exodus chapter 12. We're going to wrap it up in verses 40 through uh, 51. And this message has, uh, <clears throat> gives us plenty of time to prepare our hearts for the celebration of the Lord's Supper that we'll be celebrating right here on, at the end of October, the last Sunday of October. So it's a good time to, to refresh and look at these things in a practical way as well as we'll be practicing uh, what we are preaching here. Now, Exodus chapter <clears throat> 12, I'm going to allow you to, I was going to have you stand, but we'll sit because you were just standing. But uh, in your heart, stand before the Lord and give him your attention. And the honor, he says in Exodus 12 and verse 40, Now the sojourning of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt was 430 years, and it came to pass at the end of 430 years, even the selfsame day it came to pass that all the hosts of the Lord went out from the land of Egypt. It is a night to be much observed unto the Lord for bringing them out from the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord to be observed of all the children of Israel in their generations. Verse 43, and the Lord said unto Moses and Aaron, this is the ordinance of the Passover. There shall be no or there shall no stranger eat thereof. 
But every man's servant that is bought for money, when he, uh, when thou hast circumcised him, then shall he eat thereof. A foreigner and a hired servant shall not eat thereof. In one house shall it be eaten. Uh, thou shalt not carry forth aught of the flesh abroad out of the house, neither shall you break a bone thereof. All the congregation of Israel shall keep it. And when a stranger shall so- sojourn with thee, and will keep the Passover to the Lord, let all his males be circumcised, and then let him come near and keep it, and he shall be as one that is born in the land. For no uncircumcised person shall eat thereof. One law shall be to him that is homeborn, and and unto the stranger that sojourneth among you. Thus did all the children of Israel, as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron, so did they. In verse 51, which we've circled around several times, And it came to pass the selfsame day that the Lord did bring the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by their armies. Heavenly Father, we are so thankful for your word. It is truth. We we spent the the last week recovering from a, a conference where we assembled the word. We believe your word is precious. We believe it is pure and preserved. We believe, Heavenly Father, that you speak to us through your word. And as we come to your word this morning, we pray it wouldn't just be another sermon series another message lord that we would commune with you in your with your heart with the heart of your word and we remember that we just opened our mouth and we sang praise to you and we know that you inhabit our praises and we know that you want to speak to your church and you want to provide for us and protect us you want to take us places just like you're taking the children of israel in this account of exodus lord we know that soon you will catch us away and lord we want to be ready for that we want to get out of egypt lord the bondage of this world and and uh, spiritually, we are free if we're born again today. And we are so thankful for the liberty wherewith you called us and the freedom that we have in Christ. Lord, encourage our hearts today as we look back and remember uh, the Passover and we look forward to celebrating the Lord's Supper at the end of the month. Help this be a great connection. And Lord, I pray, God, you'd quicken your word in our hearts, Lord, and continue to quicken uh, the word through this local church, through uh, the relationships we have with people, that people would continue to come to Christ, that people would continue to be disciples, followers of you, that people would continue to be victors instead of victims. Lord, I pray, God, that your word would do a mighty work in our lives. Lord, that in everything that we do, that you would get the honor and the glory and the praise. We thank you and we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so... We're going to be talking about the practice of the Passover this morning. And the first thing you need to see in your notes, and I've given you plenty if you're filling out notes. Number one, the Passover is memorial. Now, that's not news to you. We've already talked about that several times. So I'm going to get to point A, right? But before I do that, I want to give you the thesis. The Passover is to be observed as a memorial. It's important to remember the Passover, a memorial of the sojourning specifically of the children of Israel who dwelt in Egypt. And so I've mentioned many times that the identity of the children of Israel changed as God delivered them from the hand of Pharaoh, right? They were slaves, and now they are armies, as we concluded in verse 51. However, the Holy Ghost carefully reminds us of another important identity that we remember from Exodus 12 12 and verse 40. And so he slipped another one in here on us, and it's very important. And they are sojourners in the land, sojourners in the land for 430 years. So there are many who calculate... These years to include the time in the land of Canaan uh, from the chiding of Ishmael to the deliverance uh, from Pharaoh. So there's 215 years in Canaan, 215 years in Egypt. That's actually the standard teaching today. But it's taken from the Septuagint because you can't really find it in the Bible. So uh, so it's one of those things. Well, you can find it in a Greek version of the Hebrew Bible that was probably translated in about 100 A.D. But that's a whole other discussion. So so this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to just go with what the Bible says. 
It says they were in the land of Egypt 430 years. And so, uh, and so I, I personally go with the children of Israel being in Egypt from that time, uh, from the time of Jacob's entry in Genesis 46, 3 through 4, until uh, this Passover. If the clock starts in Exodus 46, verses 3 through 4, Israel has had ample opportunity to multiply to 600,000 men at this time. Uh, not counting women and children, which is estimated to be up around 2 million souls. So to get an idea how big that is, well, that's the, that is Kansas City Metro, right? That's including all of the suburbs, not just Kansas City. Downtown's about 500,000 in KC proper. But when you take all of the Metro of Kansas City, uh, that's 2 million people. That's about the size of the children of Israel, in spite of the fact that their firstborn had been systematically killed, right, under the rule of Pharaoh. So they've had some population explosion going on which was in essence the problem and the reason they were exposed or they were being uh they were being put in bondage to begin with and uh, and so that was obviously things that we've already covered and things that most of us know uh but that that is a big number so the figure of 400 years is used in genesis 15:13 by abraham and in Acts 7 6 stephen the deacon quotes that in genesis 15:13, abraham uh, the Lord says, and he said unto Abram, Know of a surety that thy seed shall be a stranger in a land that is not theirs, and shall serve them, and they shall afflict them four hundred years. Uh, in Acts 7, 6, again, uh, Stephen said the same thing. And at the end of that text, he says, And he entered them, uh, I'm sorry, they entreat them evil for four hundred years, speaking historically of what had occurred in the nation of Egypt when Israel was sojourning there in bondage. Uh, so Paul also weighs in on this in Genesis or Galatians, I'm sorry, chapter three and verse 17. Galatians 3:17 says, and, "And I say that the covenant that was confirmed before of God in Christ, the law which was 430 years after, cannot disannul that it should make the promise of none effect." So if, if Abraham's covenant <clears throat> to inhabit the promised land is the covenant we are talking about, uh, we would have a, a monkey. Uh, we would have to monkey with the numbers to get things to line up. If we're talking about Jacob's covenant in Genesis 46:47 to bring the bones, uh, to bring his bones uh, and the nation of Israel out of the land of Egypt, um, then we can simply trust the scripture are accurate and they're written appealing to, to uh, without I'm sorry appealing to the Greek Septuagint uh, that adds that they were in the land of Canaan. Problem is you can't find that in the Hebrew Bible. And so, uh, and so I'm just going with the scripture on that. I know there may be various uh, people's perspectives on it, and that's okay. And we can all agree to disagree if that's the case. But Paul's making the point that God made the promise to Abraham's seed, and it was not just his seeds, right? That's what, what he's pointing out in Galatians 3.16. God was making the promise to his son, Israel, but also to the Lord Jesus Christ, right, who is his son, the son of God. And it was in reference to God providing for the seed, Jesus Christ, who is the Messiah, the Savior of the nation of Israel. And again, I'll read what Galatians 3.16 says. Paul says, Now to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. He saith not, and to seeds, plural, as many, but as one. And to thy seed, which is, Paul makes it very clear, is Christ. His seed is Christ. So regardless of where you fall on the 430 years, and some of you might have glazed over and went to sleep on me already, wake up because we got more to go. Um, we know what the word of God. We know the word of God's true, and uh, and there are there is a great picture here of why we enjoy celebrating the Lord's Supper, and it reminds us that we are no longer sojourning in this world, right? And in a devotional aspect, that's what we pull from it. We 
<clears throat> or that, that we are no longer slaves, I should say, in this world. We are sojourning. We're on a journey, and we're going to be hitting the promised land. So God has delivered us into the kingdom of light, right? He's, he's delivered us out of the kingdom of darkness. We are free because of the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And our inheritance is this seed, the promised seed. We, our inheritance is Jesus. You know, there's a lot of folks in the, in the church that are confused about that today. They think their inheritance is, is a piece of property that the meek shall inherit the earth because they take passages like Matthew 5 and apply it to the church. Well, you can do that devotionally, but doctrinally, that's still dealing with what God's promising Israel. Our inheritance is Jesus Christ. And we are promised his seed. And we got that seed the moment you got saved. So if you're not saved this morning, you need that. You need to understand that you're the thing that we really all need, that emptiness in our heart, that thing that makes us like yearn for something more when you get all of what you want and it doesn't satisfy you. That's because you need the seed. You need the seed of the Lord Jesus Christ in you. You need Christ in you. The Bible calls it the hope of glory. Right? That's where the hope comes from. It comes from Jesus Christ. So. So, uh, you know, what's interesting is Ephesians 2, right? That great passage that we all like to quote in verses uh, 8 and 9. In verse 1, it says this, And you hath he quickened, right? He's brought us to life, who were dead in trespass and sins, where in time past you walked according to the course of this world. You know what you were doing in that, this world? Before you knew Jesus, you were in bondage, right? The course of this world. The, the world says you're on a path, and this is the road you're taking, pal. Because it's the course that you were on. But Jesus interrupted that, man. He makes us free. You know what? The Bible says, according to the prince and the power of the air, there's a power in this world that wants to keep people on course. And the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. There's a whole group of people. There's a broad path full of children of disobedience, and there's a course. And it's, a, it's like a super highway to hell, right? You know, Angus Young wasn't off at all. I mean, there is a highway to hell, and he was on it with a lot of other people. But you know what? We're free. If you're born again this morning, among whom also we all had our conversation in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the mind, and we're by nature the children of wrath, even as others. We 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 were on Egypt's side at one time. You couldn't separate Brian Hedges from Egypt. I mean, the clothes I wore, the language, I spoke the language, I wore the clothes. I talked the talk and I walked the walk. It was my conversation. Not just what I said, but what I did. Right? That is the course that I was on. That was the course that you were on. Even if you got saved at seven, you were on that course at six. Right? Mama said, stay out of that cookie jar, and you just had to get in there anyway. Right? You knew you were transgressing the law. And God's wrath was abiding upon you. You know, I laugh, but it's true. It's true. Even when we were dead in sins hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are you saved, and hath raised us up together, and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Now get that sit together. Sit together. At the end of the month, we're going to come and sit together. And we're going to remember what the Lord Jesus did, and we're going to, we're going to partake of the elements, which are just symbols now. And, the, and it's going to represent the bread of life, the Lord Jesus Christ, and the blood of the Lamb. The one who has made us free, the one who has quickened us and taken us off of that course and and brought us into this fellowship of believers. Oh, man, what a beautiful thing. He's raised us up together and he's made us to sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. He said, but Brian, I'm sitting here. Well, you are physically, but spiritually, your seat's reserved. I got to take a flight today. You know what? My seat's already there. I'm as good as there. I'm checked in. Right? 
And at an appointed time, I'll be there in my seat, Lord willing. All right, there's an appointed time where God's going to call us up. He's, and it could be the day before I get done. He's going to catch us up. And man, if you're saved, you got, you're appointed. You're already there. You're as good as seated together in heavenly places. Why? Because Christ has gone before you. He's interceded for you. And not just in prayer, but he's seated at the right hand of the Father. It's as if you are there because your life is hid in Christ. My life is hid in Christ. Well, what's that all about? Well, let's, so that the things that we do today matter. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace and his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. The things that you're engaging in today in these old carnal bodies, that even though you've got the flesh on, you've got the spirit in, man, God is going to use you and bring glory to his name forever and ever. We have been delivered from the bondage of this world, and you can say hallelujah. Amen. Yeah, you guys are strong. All right, so let's try that again. One, two, three. Hallelujah. Yeah. Remember that song, Hallelujah, Hallelujah, Hallelujah. Oh, yeah, that's awesome. Praise ye the Lord. All right. So we're simply sojourning here until such a time as we receive our inheritance, which is Christ and his kingdom. Okay, so we got that squared away. It's a type. It's a picture. But it's an exciting picture for us because it's fulfilled in Christ. Now, point B, a memorial of liberation from the bondage of Egypt. So we've already covered this in great detail. And uh, and I have a, and, I, and so I have more. We have more to see in Exodus 13. And 14, but suffice it to say that one of the greatest things we remember about um, the day Jesus died on the cross is that he li- it liberated us from the penalty of sin and death and gave us an inheritance in him. So this world has no hold on you if you are a child of God. In Galatians 5, 1, the Bible says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again. In the yoke of bondage. Like, don't go back there. We're going to see Israel will want to do that later. We'll talk about that in a few weeks. But you may have been born in a free country, but you're not truly free until you're born again and made free from sin. Right? Because just freedom to do what you want to do isn't enough. That'll just keep you in bondage. But you've got to be free to serve the Lord Jesus Christ. So make sure to take time to look at the picture that God provides in Exodus 12:41. In one night, all the children of Israel were delivered from bondage of Egypt. In one night in one moment at the last trump we will be delivered from the laws of physics and caught up together with the lord in the air and we'll join him in the clouds just like in one moment you receive christ as your lord and savior salvation doesn't occur over weeks and months there is a moment in time where you trust jesus christ you receive the gift of eternal life and you are saved now it may take you years and months to understand all that for sure uh, as a matter of fact, it takes the rest of your life. I still don't fully grasp everything that happened to me the day I trusted Jesus Christ. But something happened, and that was Jesus Christ inhabited me, and he's still in me, right? And he's in you too if you're born again. So Paul promises this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says in verse 50, Now this I say, brethren, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. There's the bad news. So if you're fond of your flesh, you better forget it. Not only your flesh, but your blood. Your blood's rotten and your flesh is rotten. Now, your blood's necessary because it's keeping you alive, so you need it. Uh, but it's not going to get you to heaven. It won't inherit the kingdom of God. Neither doth corruption inherit incorruption. And I didn't say that. That's what Paul said, so don't get mad at me. Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall be changed in a, in a, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. At the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. Uh, that's pretty. That's pretty certain. We shall be changed. 
For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So you're not a victim, because you have victory in the Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, because of that victory... My beloved brethren, because of that, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, as you all do, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. You see, the Lord wants you to know that you're worth something of value, and the things that you're engaging in, not only are you valuable, but the things that you're doing are valuable, right? The work that you're doing for the Lord, you're thinking, oh, I'm just over here pressing out Bibles, I'm just changing out the liners in the trash can. I'm just mowing the lawn for the church. I'm just teaching my kids some Bible verses. Nobody sees me. No, you know what? God sees you. And your labor is not in vain in the Lord. This is one of the seven New Testament mysteries that we're given. And if you're alive at the moment of the catching away of the church, which is what we also call the rapture, we'll be taken out of this world in an instant. And when we go to heaven, we'll be, we will be prepared to come back as an army. Our sojourning down here will be over, right? Our time in the wilderness done, and we will be coming back as an army, just like verse 51 speaks to. And so that's an exciting thing, and we look forward to that. And you know what? We'll literally go back to the very same promised land, at least for a thousand years. Uh, We'll go back to help take over the same promised land that these Old Testament Jews are taking over. Isn't it kind of weird how history kind of repeats itself? But it just kind of gets more magnificent and scales up as you go. That's why you got to believe this Bible. It's not just a book of, of myths. I looked something up the other day, uh, some passage I was looking up, and I went and looked at, on the Internet, and boom, pops up. The Exodus is a, is a myth. Da, 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 and starts talking about I'm like, yeah, it's a myth, like my foot. It's not a myth. No, no, it's, it's history. It's history for sure. And so, so when, when we get to heaven, we'll be, we will prepare our armies, just like the nation of Israel did in the wilderness journey. When we return with Jesus to establish the millennial kingdom in the same, in the same promised land, Joshua conquered and David and Solomon ruled. So every time we observe the Lord's Supper, we look back at the Passover feast celebrated by the disciples with our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, but we look forward to another supper, which is the marriage supper of the Lamb as we all gather together to celebrate what God has done in his return as he rules and reigns on this planet. So there would be no marriage feast, by the, by the way, without the Passover feast. Amen? All right, there ain't no marriage feast if you don't have a Passover feast. It's a big deal in the Bible, and that's why we've parked the car on it for so long. All right, so that was point number one, right? We're talking about the practice of the Passover, <clears throat> and it's important that Passover is a memorial. And it's important that we kind of get that because we're getting ready to celebrate that once again here in a, in a, at the end of the month. So point two, Passover is generational. Now, this is important, too, and we've touched on it in the past, so I'm not going to tarry too long. But Passover is to be observed generationally as a memorial of liberation, which is, is self-evident. So in Exodus 12:42, the text says, It is a night to be much observed unto the Lord for bringing them out from the land of Egypt. This is that night of the Lord to be observed of all the children of Israel in their generations. So point A, future generations will not practice what we do not observe. So this is not just preaching. This is practical. 
Or maybe because it is practical, it's good preaching. I don't know. But it's important, right, that we, we understand that future generations will not practice what we don't observe. And so this is the essence of discipleship. It's more caught than taught. When I was a young Christian, I caught as much or more than I was taught. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't teach, right? Over here in the E-Wing, we're teaching, 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 right? As soon as we can start teaching, we start teaching. But a lot of what they're teaching is going to be caught, right? What does that mean? We're going to have to model things for them, set examples for them. We're going to have to show them. We're going to have to go ahead of them. We're going to have to emulate what they need to do. Why? Because, well, that's how we learn. It's caught, not just taught. Sitting in, sitting with, with uh, the cross, uh, the crosses, I should say, rather, the people who led me to Christ and discipled Amy and I, learning little songs like Father Abraham and Zacchaeus and, and doing the ministry of holding children, which, by the way, there's a call out. If you'd like to hold a baby, uh, get saved, join our church, and start discipleship. See Mitch Newland and go hold a baby. You are now commissioned, all right? So, <clears throat> but man, I'll tell you what. I tell you what, doing that, it helped me, man, as a baby Christian. You know, I'm like, Father Abraham, you know, and I'm doing all that stuff. I'm like, what am I doing? You know, I don't know. I'm listening. I'm going along. I don't know who Father, I literally, now that's how dumb, I, I literally didn't know, who, I didn't know who Abraham was. I didn't know why he was a father. Of, I didn't even know he's a father of faith for years later. I'm like, Walter and Father Abraham, was there any sons? Okay. Well, he only had one son, and then. Well, he had another, but uh, okay. Blow my mind. Like I'm in the, I'm holding babies. And my mind's going. <laughs> what, what are we talking about? God has to put all that together. But I also, it wasn't just what was being taught; it was what's being caught. Watching people that were that could be doing a lot of other things on a Sunday morning, sitting in there, people that that that, that have responsible positions in the community, on Sunday come and they sit around with little kids, and teach them. I caught that. I was like, oh, this is important. These people could be doing a lot of other stuff in life. As a matter of fact, they do a lot of other stuff in life. They're pretty important to our church body, as a matter of fact. So you mean a board member can, can, can hold babies? Yeah, it can happen. I, that stuff can be caught. Not by what is said, but what's, you, sometimes what you learn isn't just what you hear, but what you see. That's called discipleship. Okay, I digress. So, so like a child, like we emulate what we learn by example. I, I've, I, I would have never understood or participated in the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, since we're talking about that, if my discipler wasn't intentional to tell me when it was, because we observed it at night on Sunday night, and our Sunday night service was almost like the one we have here, right? And so, uh, and so I'm like, my disciple, he grabs me and he says, hey, we're observing the Lord's Supper. You need to be there. Okay, sir, yes, sir, I'll be there. I'm taking the Lord's Supper. I don't know. I've never done, I didn't even understand fully what we were doing. All I know is I'm saved. I'm baptized. I better do this. God's honest truth. It literally took me three and a half years <laughs> of observing the Lord's Supper before I actually comprehended in any real substantive way I, yeah, I knew it was about the Lord's Supper, right? And Jesus sat with his disciples. Okay, I got it. Checkbox. But it took me about three and a half years of being saved before I finally caught some of what was being taught when we observed the Lord's Supper. But it started with somebody, like, literally taking me and saying, okay, come here, son. Sit down. You need to do this. You need to follow me as I follow Christ. 
And so it's important. It's important. The seven stages of spiritual growth are not just something that we're simply taught in a class. Right? It's something that, 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 <clears throat> that we experience personally as we involve ourselves in participating in ministry to the saints. It's so important. In a church like ours, discipleship is much more than 16 lessons. As we grow, <clears throat> we measure our maturity against the seven stages of spiritual growth. Achieving the four goals of being established in the in the word or in in the, in, in the, the word of God, fellowship of believers, and membership in the local church. Those are all great things, and that's what we do. But that's just the first steps of the Christian life, and those are just tangible ways of measuring if we're following Jesus. But but man, I tell you what, you'll need ministry mentors and models to to motivate you into obedience as you develop in ministry and you reevaluate and you consecrate and you sanctify your life to serve the Lord obediently. When you begin to develop in leadership responsibility and grow to consecrate your life to reaching the world with the gospel, that doesn't just happen by lessons and and notebooks. That happens by following God and and the examples that God puts in the local New Testament church. And so that brings me to my third point, which I don't think you see, is repetition of the truth is important to teaching future generations. Do you have that in your notes? Okay, that's in my notes. So repetition of the truth is important. To teaching future generations. I should have probably put that in there. Because repetition is, <clears throat> is important. In verse 14 of, of Exodus chapter uh, 12, God's already said this. He's already, he's repeating himself. If it sounds redundant, it's because, well, it is. Moses will repeat it again in Deuteronomy chapter 16, verses 1 through 6. What's he repeating? Well, he's, he's repeating what he's already said here, that, you know what, the sojourning of the children of Israel, well, not the 440 years, in verse 41 and 2, and it came to pass at the end of 430 uh, years, even the selfsame day, it came to pass that all the hosts of the Lord went out to the land of Egypt. It is a night to be observed, to be much observed, I should say, unto the Lord for bringing them out from the land of Egypt. This is the night of the Lord to be observed of all the children of Israel in their generations right he says that at least three times and i gave you the references chapter 12 and verse 14 the same chapter and also numbers chapter 16 and he says it in various ways other than that he keeps repeating himself this is important this is important this is important you know the things that are important we need to repeat because if you're like me like like there's things in our house that are important and my wife knows i'll forget them so she know if it's really important she's like hey brian remember to do that because you've already forgot, right? You remind me. But not too much. She's good. No, it's helpful because I'll forget it. I'm like, oh, I was supposed to, you know, take that to this place or do that. Or I was supposed to take those cartons to church. I forgot. I left them on the table. You know, sometimes we've got to, if it's important, you got it's got to be repeated. It is true that, that, that repetition is the price of learning. There, there's a warning and always seeking the same new thing to the exclusion of, of resting in the rock-solid truth of God's word. There's a practical lesson there, right? Sometimes we're like, we want to move on to the new thing. Don't, don't give me something I've already heard, you know? I'm like one of those guys. I'm like watching a movie I've seen once usually, unless it's Braveheart. Or, there's a few of them. But, I mean, what's that one? Cinderella Man. I mean, I need some, if I'm watching Cinderella Man, you know I'm looking for some inspiration outside of the word of God. I mean, I'm just telling you. So, but I mean... But the UFC is usually good enough. Anyway, so the bottom line is this, though. You know what? You, you don't need to move on. you got to go with what God has, 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 has given. In Acts chapter 17 and verse 21, Paul was up there in Athens, and, 
You know what those folks wanted? They wanted, to, they wanted some new thing, new and improved, right? Paul's up there, and, and, and the, word, the Holy Ghost adds in, in parentheses, hey, the Athenians, all they were looking for up there was some new thing. They weren't serious about substantive truth. They were just looking for the newest thing that tickled their ears, kind of like the church in the last days, isn't it? We already know that there's, there's nothing new under the sun, so we stick with, with and repeat that which is true. Ecclesiastes 1.9 tells us the things that, that hath been is a thing that shall be, and that which is done is that which shall be done, and there is no new thing under the sun. Nothing. Ecclesiastes 3.15, that which hath been is now, and, and that which is to be hath already been, and God requireth that which is past. And you, 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 know, you don't have to be alive very long to start seeing things recycled. Like, I think I saw that movie, like, now already twice. I mean, I saw it as a kid, and they remade it, and now it's the third or fourth generation. I mean, how many times can you keep remaking stuff? And there's nothing new under the sun. Now, point B, we cannot prepare the disciples of the future if we forget the meaningful lessons that God has taught us from the past. And so... There, this is why we're admonished in the New Testament, Romans fifteen four and 1 Corinthians ten eleven to learn from the victories and the defeats of the Old Testament saints. God tells us to do that. Like these things happen to them for us so we could learn from their defeats and their victories. I was the youngest of three children, and I learned a lot about what to do and what not to do by observing my siblings. Sorry, Carrie and Christine, but it's true, right? And it wasn't all bad and it wasn't all good, right? You learn by watching those that go ahead. Jesus even points us back to the prophecy to understand what is coming in the near future. So God's like, hey, if you want to really want to understand what's coming, you're going to have to look back. An example of that is in Luke chapter 17. He says, as in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. You want to know what's coming? Well, you've got to look back to the days of Noah. In Matthew 24, 38, he says, for as in the days that were before the flood... They were eating and drinking and making merry and giving in marriage until the day that Noah entered the ark. And I had another reference. I dropped it. It's not in my notes, so I forgot it. But it is, uh, it is another one that we're, we're, I think it's in Luke, where Jesus says, as in the days of Lot, right, so shall it be in the coming of the Son of Man. So those are two big instances, Noah's days and Lot's days. You look back at those things and you examine that. And God says, okay, now that you've got a picture of that, now you can look forward and see what's coming. Is it hard? It's, is it hard? To, you know, in 1950, it might have been hard to believe, as in the days of Lot. How about 2023? Man, you see it. It's upon us. So the only new thing we're checking into is the promises of the New Testament. Oh, there are some new things. Don't misunderstand me. So if you're going to invest in new things, invest in the things that matter. Because there are some new things that God wants you to know. The only new thing we're checking into is the promises of the New Testament. That's where you find the promise of being a new creature in Christ Jesus in 2 Corinthians 5.17 and Galatians 6.15. That's where we understand that Christ has made us a, a new lump without spots, without leaven in reference to the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 7. That's where we remember the cup of the new testament of jesus blood in first corinthians eleven twenty-five, and we observe that every time we celebrate the lord's supper that jesus made himself a one new man and abolished the war between the flesh and the law through his sacrifice in ephesians 2 and verse 15 right and so we that also reminds us that we can put on the new man now that we know who the new man is we can put him on colossians three ten, ephesians four twenty-five. 
Oh, there's some new things. There are some new things. Why don't we run commercials about this? I don't know. That Jesus provided a new and living way because of the new covenant. Hebrews 10.20 and Hebrews 12.24. That that we learn that heaven will be filled with new songs. Revelation 5.9 and 14.3. Hey, there ain't nothing wrong with a new song. Heaven's going to have new songs. Ironically, you can read some of the new songs before they're out in the book of Revelation. It's awesome. So that's where we learn that heaven will be filled with new songs and that, and that we look for new heavens and a new earth. Second Peter 2, or 3.13 and Revelation 21 and verse 1. And from that new heaven and new earth, we see a new Jerusalem coming down. You say, well, I can't see that. Oh, yeah, you can. You've got a preview again in the book of Revelation. You can look ahead. Then we rest in the promise. Oh, beloved, we rest in the promise that Jesus says, Behold, there may be nothing new under the sun, but I, the Son of God, make all things new. Amen? Oh, there's some new things. And they're in the New Testament, right? And they're found circulating around the one who made a, who, who is the man, the one new man that gives us a new opportunity to put on uh, that new creature in Christ Jesus. It's, a, it's incredible. The new things that are there. So look at the past of what God has done so you can see the future of what he's going to make new. So it's important as we look at the practice of the Passover. That it's memorable. We've talked about that. It's generational. These are things that are caught and not just taught. They need to be taught, but they also need to be caught. We need to be observing the things that God has called us to observe. That's what the children of Israel did. But God doesn't just leave them to wonder. He's, he's very clear and gives them clear instruction. And that's the third thing that we see as we finish up. The Passover is instructional. In verse 43 through 51 here, my thesis is the Passover is a memorial of liberation to, uh, to be observed generationally with specific instruction given by God, right? So God instructs, point A, through declaration. In verse 43, the Lord said unto Moses and Aaron, what do you all think about the ordinance of the Passover? No, that's not what he says at all. He says, this is the ordinance of the Passover, there shall no stranger eat thereof. He ain't playing. He's stating it like it is. The Lord declares the name of the ordinance. It's called Passover. The Lord declares uh, that he organizes the ordinance. This is how it's going to get done in verses 44 through 49. And the Lord declares that he instituted the ordinance in verse 43. This is the Passover. This is how it's done. I'm the one who's doing this. And it was the children of Israel's responsibility to observe the ordinance as declared to Moses in Exodus chapter 12 and verse 50. And it says, to their credit, this did all the children of Israel as the Lord commanded Moses and Aaron. So did they. Would to God that obedience would have continued. But they did good here. So it's important in the church that we are not just hearers of the word, but doers also. So we need folks who do the work of ministry and, 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 and do what it takes to get the job done. And by the way, I want to commend this church. This is a church full of the sacrificial servants. I mean, so I'm not really like if you feel beat up on it's the Holy Ghost because there's so many good folks here. I'm not trying to I'm not disappointed. All right. The Lord's good. But we need folks to do the work of ministry. Obviously, there's a need. I keep bringing up holding babies. We need that need met. Uh, but we got We're going to be taking it to the streets here in a couple of weeks. I mean, who can go? Yeah, me too. Yeah, a couple of us are going. So we can go, right? That's scary stuff. We need people to do the scary stuff too, taking it to the streets and like talking to people. You know what's scary about that isn't going out and talking to people. It's representing Christ to people. 
Because you're like, oh, my goodness, like, you know, they saw me cussing someone out at the... No, you'd better not have. But, you know, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. Right? That's that's what's awkward. I didn't know you was a Christian. You're inviting me to the harvest party? What? Yeah, if that's your testimony, we can work on that, right? We got a lot of people that can help you catch up. See the analogy there? Catch up. Not, not catch up, but catch up, right? Because it's caught, not just taught. Right? It's not just what we say, it's, it's really who we are that's going to make the difference. So point B, God instructs through direction, right? So he makes a declaration, and it's important. If you're the head of your home, make declarations. This is how it's going to be. Lay down the laws, we like to say, right? Do that. But sometimes the problem is we make so many declarations that we forget the, the, to define them, right? We forget all the definitions that's necessary. And so we don't give any direction. You can make declarations, but without direction, people aren't going to know what to do. So God doesn't give direction without definition. He instructs through direction, and that's what we see in verses 44 through 48. God gives us definition for our application. He's going to go through the exclusions and inclusions of the Passover feast so everyone in every generation can follow his directions. You know, I'm a guy like you guys. And you ladies, forgive me. I'm talking to the men for just a second. But none of us like to follow directions, right? (laughs) I got this. But inevitably, right, when you put the wrong thing here and the wrong thing there or whatever's not quite working, what do you do? Like, where's those directions? Right? you got to go back to the directions because your way isn't always God's way. And your thoughts aren't always God's thoughts. If you really want to run your life and your house and your ministry, well, then do it by the directions the instructions and god doesn't it's not complex it's very clear and concise right so god gives us a definition for application and he goes through the exclusions and inclusions of the passover feast so everyone in every generation can follow his direction so god begins by teaching us this ordinance is exclusive now if you want to go to the club and you want to be on that exclusive list, that's, a, that's, a, that's commendable. But a lot of people, when they hear that it's, something's exclusive in the Bible, man, they get freaked out by that. But next is 1243 and 1245. God makes it very clear. This is exclusive. You know, when you're in contracting, um, most contracts end with exclusions, right? Like if you write up a contract... I will do this, I will do this, I will do this, I will do this. And you want them to, you want to have this many inclusions, right? You're making up stuff you're going to do because you want them to buy off on that, that price tag at the bottom. But what's the last thing you put? Exclusions in the fine print. Not necessarily in the fine print, but you definitely, you leave the exclusions to the end. These are the things I'm not providing. You know, so someone else is going to take care of this, this, and this, or you need to find someone to take care of this, this, and the other thing. I'm only going to do this. But God begins his instructions with the exclusions up front. So in the business world, we place the exclusions at the end to entice people to sign our contract, right? You want them to sign off on the bottom line. But God places his exclusions up front to protect his picture and his people. What's important to God is what is being pictured through the Passover. What's important to God are his people. He's not going to take a chance on them messing it up. He's like, hey, 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 this is the Passover. And this is who's not invited. 
You're like, I mean, that's just kind of antithetical for church because we're a church and everybody's welcome and wanted. I preach that. That's one of our seven realities. Everybody, and that's true. But the, but the people have a misconception, right, that God is just like this great, you know, sponge ball and just everybody in the world is going to come to him. Listen, there's only one way, and that's through the blood of the lamb. It's through the door of the sheepfold. It's through the Son of God and his sacrifice on the cross. That's the only way. And he himself says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And he puts it up front. Because he loves people and he wants them to know the way. In this situation, he, he puts the exclusions up front to protect his picture and his people. So business people tell you about exclusions at the end because they're looking out for their best interest. But let me tell you something, kids. Your parents are just like God, right? It's like, and you're, all you hear is, you know, no, 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 you can't do this, you can't do that. Why do parents do that? Why? Because they're putting the exclusions up front because you care about your kids right the drug dealer don't care about your kids the fentanyl dealer don't care about your kids you put the exclusions up front why because you care about your kids and you don't want them to be destroyed by that serpent the devil now exclusions are not a bad thing if you have instructions on how to be included god excludes the stranger in verse 43, and he excludes the foreigner in verse 45, and he excludes the hired servant in verse 45. Now, devotionally, these picture the lost man who has no part or inheritance in the kingdom of God. So God is gracious to give directions on those who can be included in the Passover ordinance in verse 44. So to balance this off, every man and every man's servant bought for money and circumcised in Exodus 12:44. Translation: Every man must be bought with a price if you're not a, born a Jew and part of this Passover endeavor. Therefore, God's leaving it open for people who are bought. Now, this again in our culture, this is just like, oh my goodness, can't can't handle this. But this is how the world works. But the translation, why does that sound so familiar to you if you're a Bible student? Well, because 1 Corinthians 6.19 tells us, What, know you not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God, and you are not your own? You are not your own. For you are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Everyone that that is truly a born-again Christian is bought with a price. And when we come to the Lord's Supper at the end of the month, man, you know what? We're a bunch of people that have been bought with a price. We're born again, for sure. That that also kind of fulfills a type there as well. But don't forget that we've been bought. We were, man, we were strangers. We were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. There was no way. We were way outside. But God bridged the gap through his son so that we could be grafted in and brought into the kingdom of God and the kingdom of his dear son. That's so incredible. So 1 Corinthians 7 and verse 21 says, Art thou called being a servant? Care not for it, but thou mayest be made free. But if thou mayest be made free, use it rather. 
For he that is called in the Lord, in the Lord being a servant is the Lord's free man. So, hey, if you're under bondage, you're under that, that, that heavy duty, you know, that, that, man, that, the weight of that NFL contract, you know, $40 billion, man, I can't, every year, I mean, I gotta perform. You know, when you're under the weight of that contract, obligation, God says, hey, you're my free man. Okay, maybe that's not a good analogy. Maybe you, maybe that's not a good, I think it's something a little bit more difficult. But, uh, you sign that, you, you got that contract, right? And, and now you're bound because it's costing more than you have credit. You're in trouble. And you feel like, man, I am, I am under the, the yoke. God says, that's okay. You're my free man. You serve me, son. You may physically be under a yoke, but you're free. Conversely, he goes on to say, man, if you're called being free, you know what? You're Christ's servant. You're bought with a price. Don't do this, though. Don't be servants of men. Your only option is to serve God. You know, Jesus sold our, uh, Judas sold uh, his soul for 30 pieces, pieces of silver. But God valued our soul as priceless as he paid for it with the blood of his son, Jesus Christ. So these servants who are included must be circumcised. So if you want in on this deal and you're not part of the Jews, of course the Jews were to be circumcised. They'll take care of that later. But uh, these that come in, God is laying down the law and says they got to be circumcised. That's how they get in. So really anyone that's willing to be circumcised and come underneath the leadership, right, of the children of Israel are welcome and wanted to be partakers of this Passover and the inheritances that will come through that. So we are circumcised in the spirit. And the, and the moment we call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, the Bible tells us that we are spiritually circumcised. Colossians 2.11, in whom also ye are circumcised with the circumcision made without hands in the putting off of the body of sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Philippians 3.3 3 says the same thing. For we are circumcised which worship God in the spirit and, and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh. Right? We have been spiritually circumcised. These, these who are included are also of one house, in verse 46. And in one house shall it be eaten. Though thou shalt, not carry, uh, thou shalt not carry forth aught of the flesh abroad out of the house, neither shall you break a bone thereof. This was for all the, of Israel. This, this ordinance is for everybody. But God says, hey, I want this observed in each and every house. Well, that'll preach. I could preach a whole message just on this. But God specifically <clears throat> directs each individual house to observe the ordinance. This is a picture of how communion is observed in the New Testament, in the church. Each local church is responsible for observing the ordinance of the Lord's Supper individually. Each house of worship observes the ordinance through the, the command that goes to all churches that comprises the bride of Christ. And so we don't have like a, you know, the living faith fellowship communion time. And, and they have the, No, we all just individually, local New Testament churches, we observe the Lord's Supper as the Lord leads each local New Testament church. And so the lamb was to be eaten in, in the house and not taken out. When we partake of the, the bread, we say, eat ye all of it. That's right. Because the bread of life is not to leave our house collectively <clears throat> or individually. Doctrinally, we remember Jesus never ventured outside the house of Israel in his ministry. He saved that charge for his disciples once he fulfilled the law and freed them to reach the world. But he waited until he observed 
uh, he was the Passover lamb, right, before he went out. So we observe, we eat all of that bread of life, that picture. We've taken in Jesus, and then what do we do? We go out. That's why back when we were running two services, we used to do a thing on Fabulous Fifth. We'd, the Word and the world, right? We observe the Lord's Supper together like the disciples, right? They observe the Lord's Supper. Jesus died on the cross. He, he rose again on the third day. He taught them for 40 days. And then they went to the world, the word and the world. I told you these things are important to remember, and they need to be passed on generationally. But there also needs to be some direction and instruction so we can comprehend the, the magnitude of who Jesus is and what these things symbolize so that we can have the power that God wants us to have to accomplish his mission for his honor and glory. So there's one other thing that's interesting in this text is no bones broken, no bones broken. This is also a doctrinal truth as God protected the picture of Jesus' bones being out of place for sure in Psalm 22:14 and Psalm 35:10. His bones were out of joint, but Romans didn't break the Romans didn't break his legs because they had already given because Jesus had already given up the ghost. Not a bone was broken. In John 19:32, the Bible says, "Then came the soldiers and broke the legs of the first and the other that was crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was dead already, they break not his legs. But one of the soldiers with a spear pierced his side, and forthwith came there out blood and water. And they saw, and, and he that saw and bare record, and his record is true, and he knoweth that he uh, that he saith true." That ye might believe, for these things were done, that the scripture might be fulfilled. A bone of him shall not be broken. And again, another scripture saith, they, they shall look upon him whom they have pierced. So this passage in Numbers 9:12 and Psalms 34:20 are the passages that John is referring to as he spoke about Jesus' bones not being broken. But all the way back in Exodus chapter 12, as God is giving direction through Moses to the children of Israel, he's like, hey, make sure that lamb doesn't have any broken Bones, no broken bones. Those are specific directions and instructions. These these who these who are included identify as one nation, right? So they're in one house, but they also have one nation. And so in verse forty-seven, all the congregation of Israel shall keep it. Now God is speaking here about all the congregation, meaning the entire nation. But the Holy Ghost has preserved the word congregation, which is what we just happen to call the local New Testament assembly. As well, this is a congregation. The idea of the ordinance is that everyone participates. There are times when people abstain only because of sin, but the idea is that they deal with the sin and participate. Not one, not no one should be acting pious as though they're too sinful uh, to take or partake. Right? There has to be a, a capitulation with God to deal with sin, so that you should and, and ought to take of the Lord's Supper if you're born again. Get it right, whatever is wrong. Get it right. And get yourself in order because that's what God would have. This passage also is a good example of where proper doctrine informs your devotional application. There are many today who like, uh, who like to think that the United States is a Christian nation. While I do believe we are governed by Judeo-Christian principles, and we should be, only individuals can be Christians. And only the local New Testament church is charged with the stewardship of God's word. And that's why separation of church and state is a good thing. When you get this twisted, the leaders of the Christian churches and cults take on the authority of God that was never intended, and they also include replacement theology to wage, to wage literal wars and influence the kingdoms of this world with physical swords instead of the spiritual sword of the Spirit. So you've got to be very careful 
with your application. We are a people of God, and we will come back as an army of God, but right now we are a spiritual people. We're not going to go take over Jerusalem right now. That's the kingdom of the Gentile kingdoms can fight over that. Jesus is going to come back, and that'll happen later. So these so these things are important to comprehend and to rightly apply. So so um, these they also include one law, and they have one mind. In Exodus twelve forty eight and Exodus twelve forty nine. And when the stranger shall sojourn with thee and will keep the Passover of the Lord, let all the, his males be circumcised and, let, and, then let not, uh, and then let him come near and keep it. And he shall be as one that is born in the land. For no uncircumcised person shall eat thereof. One law shall be to him that is homeborn and unto the stranger that sojourneth among you. So it's clear to see how beautiful God's grace is, even in the Old Testament, as he's willing to allow all who will, who will submit to his direction concerning circumcision partake of the Passover and be part of one nation. This is an example of where the New Testament and Jesus' blood is better than the law. The Old Testament men could be grafted in through keeping of the ordinances and submitting as proselytes, and God received them. In the New Testament, Jesus abolished the law, the law making us twain and one new creature. So there's nothing. So there's neither Jew nor Greek, bond nor free, right? Greek or Scythian. We're, but we're a new creature, as we've already seen. So we're, we are indeed the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be. Amen. I'll take the New Testament every time. Nevertheless, we see the beauty of God's goodness. As even under the law, he makes a way for the repentant Gentile to be grafted into the promises of God and have one law. He's not a respecter of persons in judgment. He's like, once these people come in and get circumcised and submit to the ordinances of God, they are as one. Now, obviously, there's stipulations of their contracts, if they're servants and all of that. But nonetheless, God brings them in and the law applies to them just like it applies to everybody else. God's grace and love is visible in the law because God is the author. So God directed his ordinance to be observed in one house, one congregation, as one law and one standard. So God instructs through declaration, direction, and lastly, through identification. See, God instructs through identification in verse 51, as I've already touched on many times before. They leave his armies. And what I want you to see here as we transition into Exodus 13 and go forward in the, in the text is, of course, they'll go into dispersion, and they will become slaves, not once, but many more times, and judges in the dispersion of Assyria and Babylon, and even to the Gentile nations in 70 A.D. This nation has some problems. Nevertheless, no matter what happens going forward, God has changed their identity. They'll never go back to where they were in Egypt. They've left. Beloved, even though we don't always look like soldiers or an army, it doesn't change the fact that God has saved us to be part of the bride of Christ. And in addition to being part of the bride of Christ, we're soldiers. We're to have the helmet of salvation on, the breastplate of righteousness, our loins are to be girded about with truth, we're to have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, we're to have the sword of the Spirit, and in our other hand, the shield of faith. Right? We are to be girded up. We are to be ready for war at all times, spiritually speaking. And God has saved us to function not as, as Rambo, right, but as a congregation, right, to do things decently and in order and to go out and to come in. And all of these things are set forth in types and pictures so that we can operate uh, practically and physically, to go out as disciples two by two, et cetera, et cetera. We don't take up physical weapons, but the word of God that we have, I'm telling you, beloved, this word wins the war. 
Don't underestimate what God has given you. Don't underestimate your identity in Christ. I think if there's anything Christians misunderstand is who they are in Christ. I don't mean as overt political operatives. I'm talking about people who represent Christ and his kingdom first and foremost. That, that, that changes everything. It'll be 40 more years for Israel to grow into their identity. But you know it didn't need to take 40 years. It took 40 years because they lacked one thing, an ability to follow directions. They just simply didn't want to obey. In Numbers 13, when push comes to shove, they did not obey. And it was left to the next generation. So let me just land the plane right there. We're going to have the Lord's Supper at the end of the month. But today, what is God calling you to obey? What's the next right step for you? For some in this room, it may be to get saved. You need to obey the gospel. You need to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. You need to take on that spiritual circumcision and and see what happens when Christ inhabits your body and you become a new creature in Christ. For others of you, you need to get baptized. You need to go ahead and next week we're having baptisms. Some of you need to go ahead and say, you know what, Brian, I'm ready to jump in. And, and today we're having next steps meeting. I'm going to go see if I want to be a member of this church. I'm not going to make anybody do that. Just check it out and see if this church is for you. Next steps is right after church today. Others of you might need to go ahead and, 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 uh, and say, you know what, I'm ready to start discipleship. I'm ready to, I am ready to be established in the word, fellowship with other believers, become a member of the church and, and, and get involved in ministry. I'm ready to go that route. Maybe some others of you, man, you need to, you need to really consider where God's calling you in ministry. Like you're growing and you're going and, and, and you know there's some, count, there's some cost to be counted. Maybe you're reevaluating. Maybe you need to sanctify some things. Maybe you need to really lay some things aside so that you can be everything God saved you to be to accomplish everything God wants you to accomplish. I mean, some of you may be in here today and you just got weights and sins and you just need to lay them aside and take on your new identity. I mean, you think that you're in bondage to sin in Egypt, but God has made you free. And we got all these symbols, right? We got we've got the the Lord's Supper, and we got the Bible. We got all these messages and all these this information pounding our brains, right? But is it working its way out in our life and our heart? Is the spiritual heart pumping? Is is the blood of the Lamb, man? Is it coursing through your veins, so to speak? Is God's word quick in your life? Is it alive? Are are you are you living like a new creature in Christ? Because if you're saved, you are one. And if not, why not? Well, why not is probably the same reason Israel stumbled and fumbled. Because when push came to shove, with all that Jesus did, they still wanted to go back to Egypt. Beloved, we can't do that. As you look around this world, I'm telling you, there's only one way, and it's Jesus. He's the way the truth and the light. It's just as real in this century, in this day, in this moment as it was 2,000 years ago when Jesus walked the planet. He's the only way. If you think it's your job, it's your career, it's your education, it's your friends, it's your this, it's your that, you're wrong. Nothing wrong with having those things, but use them rather for the kingdom of God. Amen? Let's stand together. You've sat long enough. Heavenly Father, as we stand before you, 
we represent a local New Testament church, a called out assembly, a church that wants to believe.